silhouette, little little cheerleader for our conversation. Yeah, Alex, welcome. Good morning. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be joining us from. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dogs and cats, it is the Driveline Academy podcast, the world's most dangerous youth baseball podcast. I am your host and founder of the Driveline Academy, Devin Morgan. Sitting right to my left is Driveline Academy Assistant Director, Driveline Academy International Man of Mystery, uh, Jeremy Tectiel. Um, housekeeping notes as per usual. We always start off with housekeeping. So first thing is axbat.com, code DL20. Uh, if you want a really long-winded version of this Atari ad read, you can go to last week's episode where we talked about Axbats uh, and the reason we have this relationship with Axbat uh, in at length. Yeah. Um, short version, we do it to make money to allow kids to do this thing here for free or for less money. So if you like that idea and you like baseball products, you should go to axbat.com and use code DL20 for... D D is going to stand for uh, diligent leverage two zero because you get diligent leverage by using this twenty percent discount code. So do that axbat.com. Uh, Skills and skill complete youth baseball training manual is out and available right now. Uh, it is everything you need to do all of the stuff that we think is correct for developing youth baseball players for one thing and one thing only, which is to not have their baseball experience end on a small field and actually get them to the point that they can go play competitive ninety foot baseball. That should be an absolute like destination. Youth baseball should not be your destination. It should be part of the journey. And if you want more information on that, you can just go to any one of your social media feeds, and you're probably going to see my stupid face on there because we're running a bunch of ad spend, so I'm sorry. Um, but the book's out. It's real good, and along with that, it's not just the book. I've had a couple comments. Uh, I don't want to say comments. Let's say conversations mm. with people wondering, hey, like, why is the book $200? Okay, well, let's talk about that. Uh, it's not just the book. Um, and I think it's also, even if it was just the book, man, like put that in. If it was a $200 book and it gave you literally every piece of information that you needed in order to develop your child or help run your child's team, what are you going to spend on new bats this year? Yeah. <laughs> right? What, what are you going to spend on new bats this year? It's probably way less than 200 bucks. Yeah. Um. But it's not just the book. Right. Uh, it is our yearly training plan, which is the exact same training plan that our academy teams run. Uh, the way that it's scheduled and structured in the book is it basically you can just kind of pick your own day one, week one from your schedule relative to what your team does and go through the exact same training protocol, phases of training as our kids do. Yep. Um, it's got all of our hitting programs in there. It's got all of our throwing programs in there. So if you want to go through bat speed training, you want bat to ball training, you want a competition phase for hitters, that's in there. If you want to go through all the different phases that we have of throwing development, whether that is your onboard, whether it's your velocity phase, whether that's your uh, competition phase, to make sure that like the new toys that we have are throwing the ball a little bit harder, we can use and let, uh, implement those in competition. It's got that in there as well. It's got all of our hitting videos um, for all the drill work that we do on the hitting side. It's got videos for all the throwing drills that we do in addition to the J-bands and the wrist weights. It's got the long-term athletic development exercise library. So if you want to develop kids' uh, strength and athleticism and you want to do that in a fun, engaging way that they're actually going to want to participate in, you got that. Um, the dynamic warm-up library, a six-week example practice schedule. Um, it's just everything we got. Yeah, and this is it's a textbook, right? Yeah. And, and I... If you don't know how expensive textbooks are, consider yourself lucky, I think. <laughs> yeah. But textbooks are extremely expensive. So this is priced like a textbook because it's a textbook. Yeah. This is, this is for reference. Yeah. This is not something you 
you read once and then you, you take to half price books or maybe that's just me. I don't know. Yeah, uh, don't do that. Yeah, no. But like, I'll do that with like a novel. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah But for like, sure. uh, this is something that you are going to refer back to time and time and time again. Um, and it's priced as such. And like, in a, the odds that this ends up just being like a living document are very high. Yeah. Also, um, because now that the book is done and I've had a chance to sit with it and I've been doing conversation with the coaches, like the clinic that we ran last night, uh, I've had some opportunities to go like, I think I should write something about that in the book, <laughs> but the book's done. So what we're probably going to end up doing is we'll do like a physical V2, but we're probably just going to do like blog posts and stuff like that to continue to like add that stuff in there so that you guys that get the book, it's not just like I'm buying a thing one time and driveline's done with me. This is like the start of your relationship with us because we want you to be a better youth baseball coach. Like that, that is a thing that we want. Yeah. Um, it's like the bill of rights to the constitution. Oh, I mean, Hey, you, <laughs> Let me let me not gas myself up um, <laughs> that way. Um, what else for housekeeping? Uh, Youth Under Lush Mash Bats are out. Um, we are out of stock on them right now, but inventory is arriving. It's supposed to be on March 7th. Yep. So if you haven't bought one yet, they're 79 bucks. It's real good. It's going to allow you to train the very discreet skill of getting good at moving fast accurately. And that's just good hitting. That's good. Yeah. Um, no gimmicks, no gadgets. It's just a simple thing. Move the bat fast, hit the ball flush, and you can do that with the mini hitting plyos uh, or the regular hitting plyos or smash factor balls or regular baseballs because the bat is kind of a tank and it'll withstand all of that stuff. Just not regular baseballs off a machine. That's not – that's actually – not only is it not good for the bat, you don't want to do that. Correct. That's a that's a bummer. Not great for the hands. Yeah, it's a bummer yeah. uh, for the hands. Um, so the Youth Underless Smash Bat is out. Um, we'll preview it. We have a power bat that's coming soon. Uh, should be releasing in March. Uh, it is a single bat speed training system replacing our, uh, the old uh, two bat standard. Um, it is different than any other speed training bat on the market, much like our youth underload bat is different than any other bat in the market because we have specifically modified the swing weight of it, which means we're talking about moment of inertia. Um, and you, dear podcast listener, I'm not going to bore with, with moment of inertia talk in like the first five minutes of the show. So we'll do a discrete episode de- digging all the way into that thing. Uh, but it should be launching in March. Uh, I am so flipping excited to have it. Um, I think we're going to be able to simplify bat speed training a lot. Uh, I think we can pair that with a youth underload smash and have an incredibly compelling like product mix. That's like, it's no, again, no gadgets, no gimmicks. You just swing these bats. It's going to make you better. Like just... Yeah. Simple tools that are going to get a really simple thing uh, to help hitters get better. That's a good thing. I think it's going to be 100 bucks. I, I don't think it's going to be more than that. I think it's going to be like 99 bucks. should be, again, affordable, effective tools. That's what we're trying to develop. Yeah. That's the housekeeping. Um, what else we got? What else we got? Oh, man. Um, so shout out to my guy, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, I know you listen to this show. Jeff works with the Royals and a lot of their youth, youth initiative stuff. Um, and what Jeff specifically does, so Sean Plack uh, with the Royals runs a lot of kind of like their academy stuff. And Jeff, tell me if I got it wrong, so just text me. But uh, Jeff does a lot of just like community outreach with the Royals. So he is literally running like camps and clinics for either players or coaches or both all the time. Um Jeff was out here a week ago, toured the facility, because we got a chance to meet when we were back in Kansas City when I did the Youth Summit um, for ABCA. We were out at uh, Kauffman Stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so Jeff came out here. We got a chance to check out Driveline. And uh, I think the day, a couple days after he was here and we gave him the tour and talk shop, um, he texted me about, uh, man, the Facebook dads. The, the Facebook dads, uh, God bless them. Um, but it's real tough when you have really good, well-intentioned dads who are like barking about stuff that they just don't, they don't firmly grasp. Um, and to make sure that I don't paint with a broad brush, believe me when I tell you, I do not think that like you and I are the only arbiters of all that is good in youth baseball, right? No. Like I, I think we have some perspective and sp- some expertise, right? You've seen it on the pro side. Uh, I've spent uh, a ton of time coaching kids at recreational baseball. You've coached kids. I've coached kids. Like, so we, and, and we've been doing this for four years. Right. Right. Um, so uh, I, I was looking at an old YouTube comment that said that, uh, that we were a little arrogant, that we think that we are the only ones that do any good and everything else is bad. Uh, trust me when I tell you that if that's what you got across, then like my bad, I'm not trying to suggest that at all. Um, Again, like I was saying during the ad read for the book, we want more good coaches in youth baseball. Correct. The environment definitively needs it. Yeah. So I'm not trying to set up any type of like us versus them thing in there unless you're an idiot. Unless you're an idiot and you're actively hurting kids or you're propagating disinformation that's going to make people worse. Correct. Well, then it is us versus them. If that makes us arrogant, okay. Sure. But it's not. it's not even like us the two of us versus them it should be you listener and us versus those people right so jeff is telling me that he's he got looped into some facebook chat about some guy that was pontificating ad nauseum about sports specific training for eight-year-olds sure and my guy jeff because jeff gets it uh and and jeff isn't jeff isn't like a guy who's running like a driveline suite of tools and approach top to bottom. No. He's a baseball coach that uses the stuff that we have that works for him, right. which is a perfectly fine way to engage with us. Um, but Jeff knows enough to know that like sports specific training for eight year olds is like probably not the move. Um, and, you know, look, man, we can get into the research of it. Uh, what we generally understand is like, look, uh, resistance training and strength training uh, is safe for kids starting around age eight, right? Like that's the, I mean, I've said this probably 12 million times on this podcast. Uh, I believe it's the American Society of Pediatricians has been on record since like 2014 or 15 saying that that's a thing. Um, there is a study that you can find if you research that post from the American Society of Pediatricians that had a group of like eight to 12 year old kids who did some uh age-appropriate resistance training for it was either an eight or eight or in 12-week cycle and they got like it was like 30 to it was like 30 to 54 percent increase in strength in no matter in how they tested it and i don't remember those details um the thing that they noticed though is that those gains for those kids dissipated really quickly if they didn't stay consistent hmm so follow me here Hmm. um when you're talking about working with kids and developing uh, developing their sports-specific skill, um, you need to develop them holistically, right? Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of concerns about, like, over-indexing for things, like, on the rotational side of things, right? Like, uh, 
spondylitis. Am I saying that correctly? Sp- I mean, Spondy. we call it spon. Yeah. We we all call it spondy. If I got it wrong, you know, light me up. That's fine. I'm not a doctor. Um, spondy, which is basically like, as I understand it, a small stress fractures you can get in the vertebrae right. from an excessive amount of rotation. That is a thing that can happen. It's not the end of the world, but it's definitely a thing that would need to be triaged and like dealt with if you end up that way. And you can end up that way if you like over-index for sports-specific training, which in baseball would be an excess amount of rotation, right? Like you're just rotating around your spine over and over and over and over and over. So Jeff was running into like this very, uh, again, my typical disclaimer, well-intentioned parent who's like, this eight-year-old, you know, the, the question was, well, how do you get eight-year-olds better? And we've had a lot of, like, eight-year-old talk lately with, like, what with the intentional walk clip going, yeah. um, getting out on socials and, and that whole thing. Um, and this guy was just like, yeah, you know, they just got to be, they got to be getting under a barbell. And, like, they got to be doing all this sports-specific, you know, all this sports-specific stuff. And um, I understand the intention, right? Like, I, I get it, but I think you're missing the point, which is the general athletic preparation is a thing that would benefit that kid not only in the sports-specific skill, but the other skills you need in baseball that are a little less sports-specific, like running and stopping and sprinting and jumping and changing direction. Um, I understand when, like, you know, we we look at, like, you might read a driveline blog about what we do in high performance, and you kind of go like, all right, well, that's what you're doing with Ty France. So certainly my eight-year-old needs that. Yeah. But like, man, uh, tomato, potato, these two things are not the same. So I think the context of when you're, when you're intaking information about training and what's effective, I think is, is something that you need to be mindful of because kids aren't small adults. You guys can all repeat the phrase. I've said it enough times. Like it's just, it's not the same thing. Correct. And it's, I, I doubt that it's what the eight-year-old actually wants. Well, and that's, I'm glad you went there. Yeah. I'm glad you went there because again, um, think about the long tail thing. You want intrinsic motivation. You want a child who's like, yes, this is the thing that I want to do because of me. And if that kid is going to be intrinsically motivated to play baseball or to do robotics club, all of those things are fine. Yeah. All the variation within is fine. It's tricky when you have moms and dads who love this game and they think their kid should love it the same way that you love it. But maybe not. Yeah. You know, like, like maybe not. And one easy way to probably increase the likelihood that your kid is not going to like this thing for long is to force them to do stuff that they don't want to do. You're right. So, like, again, I'm paid shill gladly i'll own it um the reason that like we didn't have i mean there was a version of um of the skills of skill book and the the strength programming in there that was like just straight up you know what you would do with like a 14 year old who's ready to get under a barbell that was the thing that we had in there and we pulled it out because the majority of these kids are probably better served with something that is engaging for them and has the same physiological benefit like the, the the process is the same right yep we're still talking about supercompensation. We're talking about general adaptation. We're talking about introducing stimulus, having it be fun and age appropriate for kids, having them go like, oh, I want to do that more. Right. Um, you know, like when I did, I did a clinic for some local Little League coaches here last night. 
uh, in one of the last slides that I had where after we went through, you know, teaching hitting, teaching throwing, um, practice design, scheduling the season, the intention of what this whole thing is supposed to be, it was just like, when all else fails, I mean, default to fun. And, and that's not that's not a lazy. I'm not being even lazy. before all else fails. Yeah, you, you should default to fun. Yeah. And, yeah, and like, and we're not we're not saying that as a cop out to not want to do something that is like technical. Right. It, it's not as though I'm looking at uh, a child, and let's say it's just like a ten year old kid, and because I don't want to burn the calories to teach a kid something technical, I go well. Well, let's just do. Let's just play a game. Right. No, it's it's not that. It's literally that's the thing that is probably more likely to suit that child. Right. Right. And where and where their needs are in this moment. Right. As opposed to down the road. Right. And you're gonna have kids who are uh, more. Man, I I don't want to. I'm not sure. I want to say the word driven. I guess I'll say driven rather than focused. You're going to have young kids at like 9 and 10 who are very focused on baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's that's just a thing, right? And I'm sure that of the listeners we have in this pod, I'm sure you guys are parents at a disproportionate rate of those type of kids because you're listening to a podcast about youth baseball. Correct. I love it. I've been there. I am there. When I think about all the things that I got wrong, when I think about bad practices that I ran, it was when I went to try to go way too technical and I didn't create a practice plan that suited the customer, Yeah, which is a child. And, you know, I don't think it, it shouldn't have to be like this big revolutionary um, disruptive thing to suggest that youth baseball, specifically when it, you're talking about like children of a single digit age, <laughs> like it should just be fun. It just be fun. Yeah, they're they are probably not going to retain the technical information you're giving them anyways. So instead of spending your time attempting to get them to retain it, uh, let them retain the memory of having a really fun time and wanting to come back. Because then what happens? Then they're bought in, and eventually they learn the technical stuff the longer they stay in the game. You know, and I've been I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about this a lot when it comes to like this new world we're going to move into of like markerless motion capture, right? Being able to passively collect biomechanics, I think is just going to fundamentally, it's going to change everything. <laughs> and I think, you know, I, I was having this conversation with, uh, with El Jefe, Kyle Bodie months ago um, about forward dynamics. Um, should we do like a quick biomechanics primer? Go I for mean, it. we just started talking How about quick? eight, yeah. we just started talking about eight year olds. So now let's talk about uh, biomechanics. Biomechanics. Yeah. Um, so not a doctor, kind of an idiot, um, but I've been here long enough to listen to people way smarter than me. So let me try to regurgitate this information correctly. Um, the biomechanics process that we run is what's called inverse dynamics. Um, and it's the same process that uh, ASMI, the American Sport Medicine Institute, um, runs. Uh, Wake Forest Lab runs the same way. Like all these big labs typically run this way through inverse dynamics. And if I remember correctly, this was basically pioneered by Dr. Jimmy Buffy who got, who basically came up with the way that this was going to work for baseball and then promptly got poached by the Dodgers, which is... That's how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The way that inverse dynamics works is you have the motion capture cameras. They're going to capture all these different joint points through the tiny little silver ball. So if you guys have seen Dryline social media or even on some of our academy stuff of our kids doing motion capture, you're going to see they've got like this black little sticker on them and it's got a tiny silver ball. Yeah. 
It looks like if you've seen people create a CGI yes. movie or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Um, what happens is that the cameras pick up that tiny little silver ball at, I want to say it's, what, 48 different joint points in throwing. I can't remember what the number is for hitting, but it's a bunch of different joint right. points. Um, and all those cameras track uh, the speed, angle, and velocity of those points. Yep. With that, you can calculate the joint kinetics, right? And you can do a little bit of math, and you can also calculate torque at the joint level. Right. Um, that is great, and it's the best system that we have right now. But again, what I'm talking about is joint points. Right. Um, inverse dynamics is basically predicated on you get this information about how the bones work in the skeletal structure, but that ignores the role that muscles, tendons, tissues, ligaments, all that muscle plays in both the production of force and the acceptance of force. But it's the best thing that we got. Right. And, you know, and, and, and we've learned a ton through inverse dynamics. Um, there are two things that are, I think are going to happen, though. One is markerless motion capture, um, which exists right now. Uh, and we've got a working system for it now that we will turn into an evaluation product for kids pretty soon. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, that evaluation product, I think, is going to allow us to communicate on very simple terms. We're going to collect some high-level information and communicate very simply what should you be working on. Right. And the interesting thing that we're going to be able to do because of that is actually go through this process and passively collect, I think, the, the training effect of some of the drills that we're doing, which opens up a very weird world where we could start to do like really high-level A-B testing to say, okay, what's a, what's a significant flaw that kids have, right? Let's say it's um, they have bad arm action, right? Like a bad, 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 uh, bad elbow spiral. Okay, if we... If we could go, all right, here's a sample of, let's say, 12 kids over here and 12 kids over here, and they all have similarly bad arm action. And we then give group number one training intervention of, like, this drill, this drill, this drill. And then training group two has three different drills. And one of them gets better. Well, now we can start to kind of draw a conclusion that says, hey, this drill package is really effective to um, a reliability score of what? Right. To, to kind of push this type of adaptation. Our tro our programming might change drastically. Yeah. You know? like with, I mean, With more frequent captures, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because then, because you're able to passively capture this type of stuff, you can capture all, like, the iterative steps along the way of seeing the positive effect of that training intervention. Right. And maybe you could go, like, hey, or maybe, maybe the training intervention isn't as positive as you want it to. Right. So then you go, okay, well, now we need to change maybe the volume, right? Or we change the position, or we change the constraint. Um, it's going to change a lot, just going to be able to collect a lot more information without this gigantic labor cost of running the lab. For sure. Um, and, and time. Labor right, and time. Right. That's going to be, that's going to be game-changing. Uh, I think the forward, the, the other thing that could be really game-changing is forward dynamics. And the way that forward dynamics works is if inverse dynamics are basically calculating biomechanics because of joint positions, forward, forward dynamics is actually like modeling the way that all the tissue works to produce and accept force. Right. That's going to be spooky. It's going to be really, really, really spooky. And to tie this all the way back to the eight-year-old in the sports-specific training, um, 
I understand with the preponderance of information that's available nowadays, and we put it out too. So like we're we're guilty here yeah. that you have parents who are like, well, I have I have a focused eight year old, and my focused eight year old should be doing the same thing that Ty France is doing, or J.P. Crawford, or Paul Goldschmidt, or Travis Bazana. Like, well, I mean, whatever. I understand the imp- I understand why you're trying to get there, but you're under-indexing for the fact that your child is eight. What's the What's the one? Uh, kids are not small adults. Kids are not small adults. Should I should probably get that as like tattoo number two? Uh, I don't want to tattoo that on my body. Actually, never mind. Hard work gives you honesty. Yeah, 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 yeah. We should do that as a t-shirt. Yeah, that should be my first thing. My first thought should be not tattoo this on my body. It should be let's make a t-shirt. But I like the commitment. (laughs) The commitment to it. It, You you can tell, you know, if your first thought is I am going to ink this on my body, like we're in a good spot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So I understand why you want to go there as the the parent of a focused 8-year-old, 9, 10, 11-year-old. But number one, it probably just doesn't suit your child. Yeah. Right? Like the, the needs, your child, no matter how focused they are at eight, is still just physiologically very immature. And a lot of the sports-specific training that you might be looking at, specifically if you're looking at uh, the training routines of older athletes, they've already checked that box. Right? Like the general athletic preparation, you don't get to that stage if you're not checking that box. Correct. So you're jumping the line. You're jumping several. You're jumping several, several lines, lines. Several lines. Several lines. Uh, you're jumping the line of puberty, right? right. You're like you're jumping a lot of lines with a really good intention, and, and I just I fundamentally don't think that that's going to work out in the long run. It's the it's not dissimilar from the idea of like you know X big league pitcher or Y minor league pitcher uh, blew out his arm throwing. Uh, right after he started throwing a splitter. Yeah. So, like, my kid is going to blow out his arm immediately when he starts throwing a splitter. It's like, I saw somebody drop that comment this morning. This morning. It's like, or, uh, you know, that guy uh, made it to the minor leagues, which you can't do without health. Right. Right? Like, it's, you know, right. the, the cognitive dissonance of, like, this guy who has been pitching for a decade, probably, at least, a lot of stress on the arm. Gets injured at the highest level. Oh, well, my kid at the lowest level with way less stress in his arm is also going to encounter the exact same injury yeah. risk. Yeah. It's like, no, it's, you shouldn't not do that because this guy got hurt because that guy, if something works for this guy. To get him all the way there, something worked for that guy. And, like, you have to, that's, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not dissimilar from that. Yeah. Um, which, which I think dovetails nicely. I don't know. Kudos to you. Thank you. Uh, because the other question that was dropped in here. Elite uh, transition when I didn't know it was coming. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's the most elite. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, sliders for kids. Mm. Sliders for kids. Uh, which is which I, th- I think is truly no different than splitters for kids, right? Or any type of or, pitch. Or that's any, ins- anything that's not a fastball. Yes. In insert pitch type X. Correct. For children. Is this appropriate? Okay. Well, let's um, let's talk about what we know. What we know uh, through studies that we've done in our biomechanics lab that you just got the quick primer on, so we're all on the same page about what that stuff means. Um, The studies that we have in our lab, either through uh, markered motion capture, inverse dynamics, or through using the modus, which is now the pulse sleeve, 
have shown pretty conclusively that unless you start to equalize for stress and velocity, the most stressful pitch that anybody's going to throw is a fastball. Surprise! Surprise! <laughs> Surprise! Fastballs are dangerous. Yeah, right. I mean, but no one's going to say that. No. No No one has ever... I mean, that's a shirt. Fastballs are dangerous? Yeah. Yeah, ban fastballs. Which, amusingly, is actually happening at the MLB level because fastball utilization rate is going down and down and down and down. So, or like, you know, someone that might have a sign that says, I don't care how, throw, how fast you throw a ball for. Right next to the track man. Right next to the track man. <laughs> it's like right next to the track man. Because, you know, the machine that you, your organization invested probably a quarter million dollars yeah. in throughout, you know, top to bottom. Well, that machine actually cares. Yeah. OC had a great thread about this. I did see that. Yeah. yeah um, shout out to Driveline, Triple OG, Michael O'Connell. Um, go find him. OC Baseball, I think, is his socials. Anyways. Um, so... If the most stressful pitch you're going to throw is a fastball, and like that's just borne out in the data that we have right now, um, I think a lot of the the pearl clutching about sliders, curveballs, splits, whatever, um, is unnecessary. Yes. Because the thing that matters most is not pitch utilization of a specific pitch type but the overall the pitcher's utilization as a human being right and from this point this is just like a very easy like go into any episode that we've talked about uh workload right i mean we're, we're back to the same thing right. over and over and over again which is if the data does not bear out that there's any one pitch that is like more stressful than another then well, then why can't they just throw, like, splitters all the time? Well, okay, number one, if your kid did throw a split and they can throw it for strikes, even if it's not a good splitter relative to the way that it actually moves, that kid probably is also going to get a lot of swings and misses just because the hitters aren't that good, right? Correct. Hitters at the youth level don't have the ability to, like, really spit on a good breaking ball, so they're just going to swing and miss a lot. So then that kid, their performance as a pitcher continues to rise. And then their utilization as a pitcher continues to ramp up. And now we have a workload issue. Yep. And it's not that the splitter is the thing that got you there. The thing that got you there is you're getting the outs. Right? Yeah. Like you're... It's correlation versus causation. Yeah. Right. Um, kids so... that throw a lot of breaking balls tend to wind up pitching more because that probably means they're pretty good if they throw a lot of breaking balls or if they have a good breaking ball. And kids that pitch more tend to get hurt more frequently. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think I'm trying to think if we ever seen like a like a twelve year old in here that actually had like a breaking ball that was good because of the way that it was spun. Probably not. Not a couple like a couple like a that have like you know, relative to their age, like yeah. pretty good breaking balls. But like, you know, the, at that age, like a fastball is kind of like a breaking ball based on the descent angle, you know, like it's it, so it's not uh, that's what we right. call that's what we like, lovingly refer to as gravity balls. Yeah. Where like, yeah. you know, you don't throw it hard enough for it to spin high enough to fight gravity. So like you basically are already throwing a breaking ball. It's just 
what you call at this point a fastball. I mean, th- this podcast might be too boring already. Should we talk about like drag and the Magnus effect? I mean, <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> We're, gonna, we're, we're getting close to 100,000 listens, and that's, that's gonna, they're going to start going down somehow. The closer we get to 100,000 listens, the more technical this podcast yeah. gets. You just drive all the listeners off the cliff. Uh, so, yeah, when you throw a ball, the seams interact with the air, mm-hmm. and the air is going to put some amount of drag on the ball. So, unfortunately, I hate to tell you this, but, like, your 9-year-old's curveball isn't really getting, like, good 12-6 drop because of spin correct right you know the, i mean that that is the thing right when you're talking to guys about you know a good like a true 12 6 it's probably because they are on top of it because at release they're pulling down on it which means the ball is tumbling and the spin is what actually interacts with the air and you get that drop right your nine-year-old doesn't spin the ball that fast correct because they don't throw the ball hard enough so it's, uh, it's it's accurate it's accurate we have uh, we have seen it time and time again which doesn't mean it can't be effective. Sure. Right? But it's just effective relative to the competition, not relative to the way that the pitch actually performs in abstract. Right. Uh, and But I think your point is exactly the thing that's concerning here, which is if a kid can do that reliably, which basically means like throwing it in and around the direction of the plate. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's a wide range of success, right? And it could be a curveball that like is thrown like above the kid's head and it drops to eye level and they still offer at it because it's a child and it's, it's a child who's still learning how to Correct. you know develop an approach. Um, so again, pitch utilization. Really... And like, I, I think that there could be a part of this that's actually somewhat accurate in terms of breaking balls are, are more, can be more dangerous than fastballs in the wrong situation. Because kids want to see the breaking ball spin. So they're going to throw it a little harder. Oh, sure. To, to really pull, on, uh, pull sure. get that pull to try to get it to spin more. Whereas, you know, maybe a nine-year-old is not uh, letting the fastball eat because his coach is yelling at him to throw strikes. Sure. So he's, he's throwing, you know, 60% intent fastballs. And like 90. And like 90, 90% <laughs> intent breaking balls because he wants to get the spin a little bit more. Yeah. And then, then you, yes, you have a situation where like your breaking balls are going to be more stressful than your fastballs because you are throwing them harder. If you're doing it the right way, you, they should not be, the fastball should be more dangerous than the other pitches for your arm. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, it's not done the right way because it's, you take some off the fastball to throw a strike. Right. And like right. nobody, I've never heard any coach tell a kid to take some off a breaking ball to get it in the zone. Yeah. Right. So like then it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy where Correct. now, yes, we have gotten to a point where for some people, breaking balls might be more dangerous because you are throwing it with a higher yeah. intent level than you are your fastballs. Well, and okay, so I'm going to be like the, uh, I'm going to be like the bring it all the way back guy there now you go. because the only, if that's true, right, then the, then the thing that a lot of people are going to jump to is, well, there's something specific about the splitter grip, right? The splitter grip is going to create more, a little bit more stress in the, in the elbow because of the way the fingers are spread apart, yada, yada, yada. What's the solve for that? So you're telling me that like, you're, you're going to have a kid uh, get a splitter grip and because of the position of the fingers, they're going to have more, more tension up through the elbow that they're not accustomed to. How do you solve that? Get them accustomed to that tension. 
through general athletic preparation, right. not through sports-specific training. Yeah. I, I will say, like, if you're an 8U parent trying to teach your kid a splitter, your, your kid's hands aren't big enough. Please don't do yeah, that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's number one. Like, it's, it's just not useful because, like, they can't grip a ball like that. And it's the case for a decent amount of kids with a decent amount of types of breaking balls that, like, their hand size does not, because we don't have different size baseballs. This isn't, like, you know, basketball where, or I think football, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, where like the balls are different sizes depending on how old you are. Yep, they size down. Yeah, baseball isn't size down. So you got kids with much smaller hands than like, like I always the the hands I always think of are Pedro's with like those long long fingers. We're just like, yeah, I would love for you to throw a circle change up like like Pedro. Yeah, it ain't happening. Yeah, like let's not even try that grip because your fingers don't look like his fingers. Oh, yeah. I mean, Danny's hands at this point are like bigger than mine, and he's still like he's played with like the Pedro circle change grip, yeah. and it's still it, like his hands no just aren't big enough. They're it's not big enough not there right. yet. And know? so, like, there are definitely certain pitches that like I would not recommend trying, but yeah. not because it's going to like blow out the kid's arm, but because yeah. it's like that's not going to be an effective pitch, right? Return on investment, pretty low. If you're practicing a pitch, that's not going to be effective. Yeah. Let's just, like, have a good fastball at 8U that maybe reacts better to gravity than the rest of your teammates' fastballs. And, I mean, and again, I think this kind of comes back a little bit to the thing that we were talking about uh, last episode about are we, you know, are we overly emphasizing people to PR all the time and throw with velocity as opposed to, Talking, talking to kids about, hey, you know, pull it back to 85, 90% when you're on the bump. Let's try to get out. Let's try to generate bad contact, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the fastball can be a very effective tool in any kid's arsenal. Right. And yeah, in a train, if we have the ability to control schedule, which is what we do with teams. We have the ability to go through a development phase where we can focus on fastball velocity because it plays holistically. It plays whether you're in the field, it plays if you're on the bump, it plays if you're behind the dish, etc. And it always has. And it always has. And it always will. If I, fastball velocity, if people didn't used to care about fastball velocity, no one would have driven a car past Bob Peller to try to figure out how fast he was throwing that ball. Motorcycle. It was a motorcycle, you're right. Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, a motorcycle. Yeah. And, like, I mean, it's a motorcycle in, like, 1940. What was that, 46? No, it wasn't 46. It was 52. Well, I was going to say, it could have been around there because he was in World War II. So like, yeah, well, maybe around it was that earlier. Time. I don't know. I know um, Rob Freeman, a.k.a. Pitching Ninja. If you don't follow that dude, follow that dude. Follow that dude. Um, had some amusing, some hilarious stuff about Feller and the motorcycle test. Um, Which is, like, that's – whenever I do go on social media, I find it hilarious that, like, the – general like and again this goes back to the us being arrogant i guess but a lot of times it's i I do feel like it is us versus them in in many cases and like the the people that the them group is throwing out there is like these are the guys who we want to make pitchers more like Mm -hmm. nolan ryan greg maddox yeah these guys all threw really hard (laughs) <laughs> like, 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 I, I don't. You're, we're saying the same. I would love to make every kid like Nolan Ryan. Like, yeah. we're saying the exact same thing, uh, and it's like, Nolan Ryan's the one that kills me because, like, he. Uh, I agree. I would like for pitchers to be more like Nolan Ryan and not necessarily care how many dudes they walk. Yeah, and just like try to throw hard and go for the punchies. Like that's. I agree. Let's make more pitchers like that. Yeah, I was. I was looking at. Um, you know, college baseball started up. 
I was looking at some box scores this weekend yes, in one did. of our one of our local colleges. Um, you know, uh, our guy uh, went three or four or whatever and had like one punchy. The guy that they are playing, eight punchies, six walks. And that guy's still getting a start. Right. He's getting a start in college baseball yeah. because he throws hard and he can go throw good stuff and strike guys out. Yeah. Like, what are we talking about? Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Uh, look, if you want to have your eight-year-old throw sliders, um, my first question, and you're like, hey, is that a good idea? My first question is like, how well do they throw the fastball? Like, why, what do we, why do we need a secondary offering? Yes, but I, so I will play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Okay. Um, like, yes, how good is the fastball? If, it, if the answer is, eh, not great. Like, he's a little smaller. Sure. Fastball velo's not there. You know what's fun? Throwing a breaking ball. Oh, 100%. And, like, yeah. I, most kids, and if, please, like, correct me, but I'm fairly certain most kids, and I, and this is anecdotal based off of what we see in our gym, mm-hmm. when we tell them they can throw grips, what's the one grip that I've never seen a kid throw when they throw grips? A fastball. <laughs> Like, they love throwing off-speed stuff. They yeah, like trying to make it it's move. Fun. It's fun. Yeah. Why would you not – why would you disincentivize that? Like, during catch play, yeah, have them try to spin it during catch play. Yeah. Like, long toss sliders, kind of fun. Yeah. Right? Like, there's, there's a lot of ways to increase the fun for a kid who maybe is smaller and, like – the fastball velo isn't there, and they can't get away with just, like, throwing it as hard as they can because as hard as they can is still, like, 47 miles an hour, yeah. and kids are still going to hit it hard. Great. Let's have some fun out here. Let's try to throw some weird stuff. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I'm, like, I'm thinking about all the teams that I've coached, and I don't know that I ever saw kids try to throw, like, curveballs in long toss. It was always sliders. Mm-hmm. It was sliders or change-ups. Yeah. It was always sliders or change-ups, but it wasn't the curveball because a lot of those – and I think the kids implicitly kind of knew that because the curveball they couldn't throw in long toss because right. the only thing they're doing when they're actually throwing a curveball is they're just killing arm action a ton. Right. It's gravity ball. You're, you're not going to get it there. You right. can't long toss a gravity ball, you right. know? Like, and, and I think about, you know, my team that there's a good amount of fastballs on my team and like, like I should say, sorry, a good amount of good fastballs on my team. Yeah. And a good amount of good breaking balls on my team. And you know what happens at the end of every practice when we're doing a short box recovery and I tell them you can throw grips and uh, your son is chief among these kids, let's throw knuckleballs, right? Like it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Let them have some fun. Yeah. 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 What's, what is the harm in letting them try out different types of grips, try out different types of pitches? Yes. Like it is a great way to keep them engaged and not put the fear in them that if you throw a slider, your, your elbow's going to blow out. Like, the amount of times I've had new kids come up, like, at driveline, when we're talking about pitch design yeah. or things like that, they're like, oh, well, I only throw my, a fastball. Yeah, my coach wouldn't let me. My coach wouldn't let me throw these yeah. other things. It's like, well, um, he's not your coach anymore, and we are. So, like, have some fun. Go spin it. Yeah. Go see what you can do spinning, spinning a ball. And, like, I feel like I've said this many times on this podcast, but you know what types of balls that nobody complains about being spun? Footballs. Nobody complains about kids throwing around the football in the backyard and throwing a, throwing a nice spiral. But guess what you got to do to throw a nice spiral? Yeah, spin it a little bit, huh? Yeah, weird. And it's, is it, uh, correct me, is it, is it, does it have weight, a football? 
potentially more weight than a baseball. Hold, watch, hold, so we're throwing on, a, a, a more w- a heavier ball with spin, and and nobody cares. Somebody call Roger Goodell right now. <laughs> like I, you know, the, and I feel like we say this a lot, bunch of the podcast with like specifically in terms of like the football stuff, but yeah, the nobody ever counts quarterback throws. No, except for you know the quarterbacks in the NFL wearing a pulse sleeve. Of which there shout are several. Out. Yeah, there are several. Shout, yeah. shout, shout out to you guys. Um, but, yeah, it's that's my issue with the spin thing. It's just like, these kids are going to pick up a football and try to spin it anyways. Why are we stopping them from trying to do that with a baseball? It's yeah. fun. Yeah. Spinning a baseball is fun. Yeah. I, I just, it it it's so arbitrary. You know, it's just like, well, this is a thing that I I think is dangerous. So, therefore, never, ever, ever do that. Correct. You're just you're you're not seeing this thing with clear eyes, right? Like it's just, and and I realize that you know we have the luxury of this is our job, so we read research studies and yeah. we'll we'll dig all the way into this. We'll run our own studies here at Driveline, but uh, I think the more that you can just kind of like kill the false god here, like you 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 know, the more that we can kind of like, hey, let's just make it really clear: the thing that matters most is your overall throwing workload, your overall throwing level of fitness. And the thing that you're going to do, not only on the bump, but also in the field, but also in practice, but also in pregame, and also in your bullpens. Like, it's just all of it matters. Yep. And there, you can't just kind of this, – this conclusion that, like, well, we're going to eliminate – we're going to eliminate risk, right? I'm going to take this one thing that I infer uh, is going to increase risk, and I'm just going to pull that off the table. And then because of that, everybody's going to be perfect and healthy. Yep. No, they won't. No, they won't. No, they won't. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I've, I've made this point several times, and I'll make it again. Like, look, if we sold enough plyo care balls um, to really be the ones who are, like, definitively responsible for this increase in youth throwing injuries, um, that that would be one thing, but we don't. There, there is literally no way we do. There's, just, yeah. there's, there's no way we don't. Yeah. Like, you know, we... We, we do good business, but, like, we don't do that type of business. No. Not to the tune of, um, you know, what are there? Some, like, 16 million kids uh, every year. They're amateur baseball players of one age or another. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, so it's, it's you know, it's a, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of people. No, what's what's much worse, and um, I haven't even talked to you about this. I don't know if you know this is coming, but there's a organization local to us here in Seattle that uh, had their high school teams playing tournaments the last two weekends. Before high school tryouts. So this is the... There is is a Saturday where they had a tryout to 49 pitches in game one. And an 80-pitch complete game in game two on the same day, a week and a half before he had to go to his high school tryouts. And that's somehow more acceptable than letting, like, a 12-year-old throw a slider. Like, that's, if you want to know where the problems are, there it is, right there. Two weeks before high school tryouts, let's throw 135 pitches, or around 135 pitches, in two games on the same day when this kid's got to go play high school in a week and a half. And then we are deloading our kids this entire week. Right. They're throwing all recovery days this entire week so that... As when they get when they show up for high school tryouts next Monday, their arms are as fresh as possible. They're yep. in good shape. Yep. We've built them up a bit, and now we're just deloading them. Yeah, and like just the level of irresponsibility so of having February tournaments for high school kids. 
So the they're playing the tournament with an org. So the org has the tournament. Yeah, okay. So oh, it's, it's a local tournament, and I looked at the the uh, schedule and the registered teams in there. It's you know, it's uh, quite a few local teams in there. Um, man, it's just it's it's incentive structure, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's the same thing all yeah. over again. It's just like we're trying to be the winningest winners. We have to, you know, we have to get our kids game ready. Yeah. Because, because, like, I can, you know, I can understand the argument. I, I understand the argument entirely. It is, we gotta, we gotta stay, we gotta stay ready. You know, we gotta, we gotta stay ready, and that's fine. I, I get that. Except when you do that thing on the pitch utilization part, which is just, you're you're putting your you're telling on yourself like really really clearly mm-hmm. you're you're telling on yourself really clearly about what you're what you're prioritizing cuz it's not getting the kids ready if it was getting the kids ready then it'd be like hey everybody's going to pitch an inning and we're going to be capped at like 35 to 55 or whatever yes right or you know maybe there's I don't know, a local organization that runs competitive hit tracks leagues on Saturday night where nobody uses their arms and you could just feed a machine and hit baseball. Oh, it's us? That's us. Oh, it's us. Yeah, there's ways to get ready for competition that don't include uh, desperately trying to win a tournament and burning out kids' arms. It's Well, and I mean, how many, right, and uh, at the same time that that's going on, there's a lot of these kids who are trying to get in showcases before their high school season, right? Mm-hmm. So, and you know, and again, some of them are ours, right? Then they've been yeah. with us since you know August, September, whatever. Uh, they've been training. They feel like they've got some new stuff, and they want to go show it off in a showcase. Yeah. And like again, we run our own showcase in here for right. this exact reason. But it, I, I understand. Like yeah. I understand. And that. as I tell them, I love you. I'm not calling. I'm you know, saying anything like you're an idiot or anything. But who? Uh... Who do you think is at these showcases in February? Well, colleges aren't. Colleges, colleges aren't because it's right? literally their season. You're going to a showcase this past weekend. It is opening weekend of college baseball. What college coach is watching a high school showcase in the state of Washington? Like, it's it's just there is no actual benefit that you are going to get from that. Yeah, that ain't, that ain't it. Um, so if it's, if it's about getting the kids ready, then – you wouldn't behave that way with the way that you use the kids in the games. Yeah, play a doubleheader. Don't play a tournament. Right. If that's your if if your goal is like, well, we got to get these kids competition ready. We got to see them. We got to get them seeing live arms from the plate, and we got to get them seeing live hitters from the bump. I agree. Yes. We do the same thing. Yes. We've had live abs for two months now. Yep. Uh, don't enter a tournament where you can no longer control. Any of these things, innings, pitch limits. Oh, no. Hey, guys, this is Devin dropping in with you at about the 54-minute mark to let you know that the next 20 minutes of the pod, the audio is not going to be great. And I know, I know, you heard me say that, and you're like, God, why can't these guys get it right? They work at the most data-driven, technology-driven baseball training facility in the universe, and the audio on this podcast is wrong. Believe me, I agree. Whatever frustration you feel listening to this next 20 minutes of audio... Uh, I share with you, um, it is embarrassing and it is stupid. And I've just filed another help ticket with our IT department to get this solved. So, um, 
if you want to suffer through this next 20 minutes of audio, I've gone and done everything I can in Premiere to fix it. Um, I think it's still a good, compelling conversation. And if you want to turn off the podcast right now at this point, I'm fine with that too. I love you guys for listening. I appreciate you hanging with uh, me as your podcast host slash audio engineer. Now here, back to your program. Ladies and gentlemen, sorry about that audio video difficulty. If you lost video and you got just a chance to stare at our frozen faces for a while, then enjoy that. You like still life painting that kind of comes back to the video. Um, yeah, don't play a bunch of tournament games right before high school tryouts. I feel like that it's shocking that he needs to be said, but like, yeah. I mean, if, if you were telling me that like the tournaments would exist in this way where they would control the behavior, right? That like, well, hey, you know, it's it's one weekend before high school baseball drafts, everybody's going to be on a, on a 40 pitch chat. Sure. But they're not going to do that. And that's not their job either. You know, like that's not, that's not their job. And I will tell you, I don't think most of these teams would enter a, a tournament that imposed such strict points. Correct, because by doing so, you are going to have to compel yourself to put kids on the bunk that aren't your number one, number two horses. And doing that presents risk for your ability to win or lose. And you're not going to do that, so you're going to talk yourself into a kid pitch on Friday night, picking up a closer closer on Saturday, and then he's going to push CG on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... It's a great way to wreck a kid's freshman or sophomore year is by playing tournaments all of February right before they go and tryouts instead of doing the other thing, which is preparing them to excel at that tryout. Yeah. So we've got tournament teams or tournament organizations that are desperate to provide value to their families. So they feel compelled to play these events. We have high school sport regulations that put it so that these teams in high school have like 10 days of practice before they're playing games. And I, 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 should, I should be careful here because I'm about to just like, go off about how nobody really gives a crap about these kids. Correct. I mean, how, how am I supposed to draw anything different from that? Just like this complete ambivalence towards not the development of kids, but like their health. Yep. How how am I not just how am I not doing anything other than that when that's the system that we have and that's the way we behave? Um, you know, somebody I'm trying to remember. Somebody sent me a message. Did we talk about this about like how to choose a travel team? We talked about that yeah. not too long ago, yeah. right? I um, think it was extra problem, ago, but we did talk about that. Yeah. So. Um, Stuff like this. Yeah. Stuff like this. Yeah. And, and I realized that, you know, that this might, um, well, actually, no. I was going to give some caveats, but I'm not. Um, because if your 12 and under team is doing this right before kids are going to double dip, dip and play rec ball and select ball on top of each other, or if you're a high school athlete who's getting ready for a season that has a tremendously compressed timeline and you're doing this stuff too, if clubs are, are, are choosing that you should probably ask questions. You should definitely ask questions. Yeah. Yeah, and the the main question is what is the most important thing? And that is like 
doing a good job in your high school season. Like having a really strong high school season is much more important than playing well in summer ball or fall ball or whatever it might be. And if you are playing tournaments each weekend in February leading up to your high school trials, there is no possible argument that can be made that that organization believes and agrees that your high school trial is the most important event of the of January, February, March. You're not set up to peak for it. Correct. You're not set up to peak for it. You're not even set up to be able to tolerate it. Yes. Right? Worst case, best case scenario, you get what you want and make the team. What do you think those next like eight days look like? Be a crap to the throne. So do you want to have that? Do you want to have that experience which you cannot control? And your high school coach has to do that because they have to get a team ready and they're not trying to lose a job. Like because again, you're talking about like most of these people that are running these organizations, it's not you and I where this is like their jobs. It's dads. Right. It's dads. Yeah. Do this on the side. This is a this one specifically is, a, and the other teams that were in this tournament aren't run by dads. Sure, these are all larger organizations that are not run by parents, and it's you know we've we've talked about this in the pod, but like if you don't have a way to tell a kid, we got you better, and you are more prepared for your high school tryout than you were than you would have been five months ago if you hadn't been with us and here are the metrics as to why that's true the only thing that you can give them is to hey we're doing our jobs well is tournament victories so you got to play more tournaments and as kids get closer to their high school tryout and maybe the anxiety ramps up of am i ready for my high school tryout especially this team specifically is a team of mostly freshmen they're going into their first ever high school tryouts, there's anxiety there, for sure, no matter who you are. All right, well, let's prove that you're ready for that by going out and playing a bunch of tournaments in February to show you that you're ready to show up at high school tryouts. Because they don't have the actual other data or other ways to show the kid that you are much better and you are ready for high school tryouts. And and like, who does it matter? Who does this matter to? You know? Doesn't matter, guys. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to your potential college coach. No, and it doesn't matter, honestly, to your tournament, to to like your select ball coach. Because if you, and I I think like the biggest worry here that maybe we haven't explicitly said is like, you're going to get hurt because you're throwing too much. If you get hurt, you are the one that is hurt. Your select ball team probably going to go find another pitcher. Yeah, they'll find another. They're gonna be alright. Your high school, same thing. College coach, whatever. They're just, they don't even look at you in the first place. Yeah. You are the one that is going to be hurt by this. Nobody else. You are the one that has to make the decision and has to like see with clear eyes that this is not what I should be doing. The the day, literally the day before high school draft, because there are teams that are gonna have games. It's tournament. There are teams that are gonna have games. Yeah, and yeah. Um, to your point, college coaches aren't watching. No, they're not. Right? But, like they're they're just not. And so, like I, I maybe I'll go back a minute because I I said you know, high school season is the most important thing. I don't disagree with what I just said, but like the second most important thing is summer ball. Your high school and your summer ball are how you are going to show 
what you can do to college coaches. That's how you're going to get recruited. There aren't college coaches watching in the spring, and there are not college coaches watching the fall. They're they're doing other things. They can't they can't do that. They can't even even if you if you do this thing right, you should be better in the summer than you were in January and February. Right. So when when do you want to even if you want to show this stuff off, you're showing it off in the middle instead of the end. Correct. And our kids are not I, I don't know if I call them in peak condition right now, heading into baseball like high school travels. They're in great condition, but like they're not gonna be in peak condition until like May, which is what we want. When the games matter the most in high school, and when you're starting to select ball in the summer, you you can't really play competitive baseball for more than like four months or five months without having diminishing returns on the back end, like very clear diminishing returns. Oh, yeah. on the back end, like we're gas, we're tired. Yeah. So if you start your playing in January, those diminishing returns are going to hit in May. And like you are setting yourself up to fall out of your high school coach's favor by the end of the season because you got hurt or you are or you lost below or you're not as good at, at pitching as you were at the beginning of the season because you're, just, you're fatigued. Like you are not setting yourself up to have success at the time when it matters the most. And like these select organizations just don't care about that because they got to play tournament get away. It's like you're setting up a drag car. This, if you, it's like you're taking a drag car that's set up for like an eighth mile race and you put it on a quarter mile track. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna run out of gearing halfway yeah. down. Yeah. And you're gonna get you're gonna get dusted, you're gonna get boat raced by somebody who's actually geared for a quarter mile race. Yeah. Like our kids. Yeah. Um man, I I, I had a thing on here when we talked about the level swing. I don't think I can do it. I'm gonna, we're gonna postpone that. We'll talk about that when we have uh, we talk about the power. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because this this is just so. Um, uh, again, who who does this matter to? Who's who is communicating value this way? And again, look, if you're trying to tell me like I need to get my kids ready for high school season and I need them to see that type of competition, run like you said, run double headers, run scrimmages, right? Because that's a thing that you can do, and you can control. And that is that's primary principle problem. You can control it. And if it's a scrimmage and we get into the fifth and it's the second game and I've run out of arms. Yep, we're done. And and to be clear, you could do that internally. Yeah. They won't. They won't. They won't. But like you could, we as driveline, not once, like multiple times, have forfeited tournament games because we ran out of pitching that we were comfortable throwing again. Correct. We would rather forfeit a, a bracket play game on a Sunday in a tournament than ask a kid to throw when we are not super comfortable with where he's throwing workload is. And if every organization was like that, this wouldn't be as big of an issue. And, it, and it's not it's not an intentional thing, right? We're not going into a tournament. We wouldn't need to play them. It's like, hey, you know, we're, we might be worried. Correct. Right? Like, you go into it with the intention of winning all the games. Yeah. Stuff happens. Yeah, you have one pitcher who doesn't do well, and now I have all the planes yeah, have to get pushed up down. and rolled up. And, like, yeah. once a year, you're going to wind up coaching a tournament where you run out of pitcher. 
Yep. And, and like you're you're really excited by the end of it, and like you, we are comfortable forfeiting those games, and I understand it, but other people aren't. And I, I again, I understand why they're not comfortable forfeiting that game. I hate forfeiting those games. It's a terrible. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, enjoy yeah. doing that. But like, you no longer have control over anything that happens if you're not willing to forfeit. And it was the signal that we were sending about what's important to us. Would I rather take an L on our game changer that I really don't want to take? I mean, certainly. Or do I want to put a kid's health in jeopardy? And give up control of, of what that looks like. Because there, again, we, we are saying the same thing. We both want to get, I think, we both want to get kids ready for what they have to endure when they start high school season. And there's just like different, like we want more control over that process. And like there's different ways of going about it. And that's just not it. Uh, similarly not it. Um, because I know a lot of our audience doesn't have kids in high school yet. Is when you do that thing when your local league, when your league local rules, if you're going to direct ball here, the league opponent doesn't have a modified pitch chance for the first two to three weeks of competition. If you're if you're a little in public work and you are supposed to be able to pitch on planet, you should have something in your local rules that periodizes so you're making incremental progress towards that maximum pitch count over the course of the first month. I mean that's that's how we did it. Um, so if you are that guy or girl that's that's intending to just go like, well, you know, we have our first game on on Tuesday in like two weeks, and Johnny or Katie or whoever is just gonna, well, they'll just pitch game one. Like, bro, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. So I can almost I can almost guarantee you in a much more acute sense that that recreational little league kid isn't built up. Okay. There's no way. And also, you're gonna need a lot of pitchers to get through a season. Take some time early in the season to not care about whether or not you win and give a bunch of different kids a chance to get in the bump and see what that. Primary thing that I talked to the coaches playing by rain last night uh, was just about scheduling. And again, the thing we advocate for in the baseball development certification is a development phase and competition phase. And you can split them 50 50, you can split them 60 30 or 60 40, sorry, uh, however you want to do it. But the point is, is if you go into your team, whether this is a 9 team or a 15 team, and I know I'm just making a decision in my head at the coach, like, well, that's my number one pitcher, and that's my starting shortstop, and that's my three hitter. If you treat them that way for the jump, you're confirming the thing that you think you know versus learning what you don't. Right. You're, it's just, Especially it's, you're just yeah. give kids a chance to fail. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, like I'm, I'm at the stage of things where, you know, Danny's on a field level, got the profile created, yada, yada. And like, when you get to that stage, you know, they're asking you about like where your primary secondary positions are. And that's, and that's great. What I am glad is that when he goes to his high school tryout, which is a week from today, literally a week from today, uh, I know he has some primary positions he wants to play. I also feel really confident that he can play basically anywhere on the field. And if he needs to go play first base, he has to play the lot he'll learn. He'll figure it out. So he and he's not alone. He played every single position last year. Yes. Every position on the bat yep. at some point or another during last season. And multiple kids on my team yep. have that. Now, I'm not going to put a kid in a position that they don't want to be in. 
But like, I have a few kids. You, yeah, put me wherever. I don't care. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna move you around because it's good to know. It makes you a better baseball player to know how to play. Yeah, and know where everyone should be. Makes you a better baseball. You're gonna find the truth of where you should be playing only if you play the game long enough. Yeah. For someone to go, you can't be there, you should be over there, or whatever that looks like, right? You only get that feedback when it's told to you. So when you when you don't have someone who's literally gonna like prescribe that to you, give them the freedom to play all over the place. It's just a it's a no-brainer. Man, this whole tournament thing right before I switched tries is so I'm so rattled. Just irrationally angry about this whole thing. Yeah, I didn't. It like we don't. We're not even looking to register for those tournaments, so it never really entered my. Like I know that they have the the indoor ones for the younger kids and, and whatnot, but it never really crossed my mind that every weekend in February there would be like high school tournaments where kids are going out and being asked to throw 130 pitches in a day as they're. So what they should be doing is getting. As ready for high school tryouts as possible, not gassing themselves out to win a tournament in February that nobody cares about. That probably like 16 total already. Right. Let's go back to the, the Jordan Baltimore. What was the what was the name of that tournament? With the like three teams. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, look, man. You know the only thing that the the travel and select teams are good at is just like fighting games. If that's their number one value proposition to you, you should really consider what other types of value that your, your organization can bring. Yeah. Because there's a lot more to it than that. Um, and like, I, I think the thing that I love is just like, you know, these, these teams are like, oh, we're all about to build, we're all about to build. Well, when? When and how? Right? When, when and how? Because you can't do both at the exact same time. Right. And like, we uh, we should bring... We will bring Tom Reynolds back on the talk recruiting a little bit more. Yeah. But like, it's a thing we're leaning a lot more into now. And these are things that a lot of clubs promise, right? We're going to develop your kid, we're going to get him going to college, and they don't do anything about it other than play a bunch of tournaments to get you exposure in front of coaches and hope that you perform well enough. And then, hey, if you don't, it's on you. But not on that, it's on you. We'll play in the right We'll play in the right tournaments. In fact, we'll, we'll go down to Arizona and we'll make sure uh, we play in front of some college coaches who are immediately going to cross you off the list because you get your butt kicked by like a team from Arizona if you're you know, from a cold weather state or not. I just want to going down there. But then it's, they can flip that and it's just right back on you. It's like, well, you didn't you know, put you in this position. Yeah. And you didn't perform. That's right. Like, yeah, well, you didn't. Put them in a position to be successful. You did put them in a position, just not a position to be successful. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not ignorant to the fact that if you are, you know, uh, a D1 prospect at that type of level of things, then there are probably tournaments that as a junior and senior you should be at. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not ignorant to that at all. 15 and 16 year old teams. Well, I mean, look, right now, we've had hundreds of colleges contact us in the last couple weeks with the all stuff in the degree. The, the one, one thing that hasn't been announced. What's your winning percent? Do you guys win games? They don't care. Not one college coach has asked that question. Hundreds of college coaches, not one has asked, do you guys win? Because they don't care. They're looking for dudes. They're looking for dudes. We have our dudes. We're sending the data on our dudes. And they see that data. 
and that's they, there is no follow up of like okay but like you know did how, does this kid win like when you you know what's the team record when he's on the phone like that's not a question that we ever get from from a college coach it's just not a thing Oh, um, you're right. Well, everything is terrible. So good luck. You uh, baseball bummer power, baby. We're back. We're back. We're back. We've been really upbeat for a while. Now we're back. Um, so I, I feel complete. Well, actually, I feel enraged, but I need to go eat. Otherwise, I'm gonna just completely lose it. Um, yeah, the combination of anger and finding out there's tournaments. I mean, like, like Ferraris, like, like a dangerous top. Like I need to like just kind of. In every cross, honestly, never, never, never crossed my mind that like, because like I can't think of a good reason to do it. For my son, I look. I have all of the biological imperative in the world to help him be set up to be successful in what is coming, which is his first high school baseball year. In no world in that process was I like, all right, well, we've got to get this paternity for the high school season. Like not, not because I am. I'm, you know, a, a driveline athlete or whatever. As a parent, as a parent of a child who wants to be good and wants to have a successful season, at no point was like, we gotta find some games. Yeah, he's, he's gonna, gonna go play games. games. He's gonna go play. Games. What are we doing? You baseball for power hour. We're back. Uh, I don't know. We'll talk about. Oh, next time we'll talk about power bat. I think maybe. I kind of don't want to talk about it until I have it. So what? Yeah. Maybe, Maybe my, my next week, I'm probably not going to have it. I don't know. We'll figure out what next week is. Bring on prototype. Yeah, we're bring on prototype. We could bring on prototype's greatest accolade, too. That's right. That's right. Maybe a kid who wants to swear our power about the games. Might have to stick a BB for a sticker on that thing somehow. We would never do that. That's a joke. To be clear, a joke. To be clear, that's a joke. Thank, Thank you guys as usual for listening. Uh, the likes, subscribes, notifications, all that stuff, algorithms, support, we appreciate it. Uh, and again, we are now in the habit of like, answering questions. Yeah. So, whether that's on YouTube, whether that's on Spotify, both of those platforms have mechanisms, you can drop QA for us. You drop the question, we'll try to answer it. Thank you guys for, as per usual. We'll catch you next time.